0: Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. The With your Keepers of Mysteries, Jim Brinkman, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman, sanctum Secorum and be inspired
1: Welcome back to the Sanctum Secorum podcast where we plumb the depths of Appendix N as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role playing game We're back from our summer hiatus, and we're here to help you serve these literary offerings at your DCC RPG table. I am Keeper Jen. With me tonight are my two most wonderful co-hosts ever. We have Keeper Bob. Hey, everybody! And we have Keeper Mark.
0: Good evening.
1: And I guess we are missing Keeper, Dave, because, you know, we're we're returning to one of his favorite places. Tonight, we're going to be discussing Elric's next adventures, Torn Through the Outer Dimensions. Bob, take it away.
0: Well, it's uh, the sailor on the seas of fate. And this triad of tales begins with sailing to the future. Elric is lost somewhere in the Young Kingdoms and near the sea. A mysterious ship appears and he's welcomed aboard by its captain and introduced to three other powerful warriors. The captain informs the adventurers that they are traveling across time and between realities. They have been chosen because they alone have the power to stop alien sorcerers from destroying their worlds. In Sailing to the Present, Elric finds himself on another shore without the memory of his last adventure. He meets a sailor called Count Smjorgen Baldhead. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. Who accompanies Elric as they're followed by a mysterious riderless horse. Elric and Smjorgen find that they are in another world, one inhabited by a Melibinaean nobleman named Saxif Don. Saxif recognizes Elric but does not honor his sovereignty in this realm. And Saxif himself is subject of an old Melnibanean legend. Finally, in Sailing to the Past, Elric and Smyrgen, after passing through the Crimson Gate, are saved from drowning by Duke Avon and his men. Duke Avon is traveling to find Rlyn Kryn-A, <laughs> the ancestral city of the Melnibaneans, where he seeks two rare gems purported to be the eyes of a large jade statue of Ariok. Ulrich and Smyrgan decide to join him on the voyage. (laughs) More (laughs) cock-tongue-twisters. That's the way to start the
1: evening, yeah.
2: Melniminayin. It rolls off the tongue. We
1: we nailed down Melniminayin finally, but Smyrgan, oof. And then Agak and Kagak and... oh, Uh. Yeah. Okay, so... Oh, so. we, pick up, we, we pick up when Elric has it all, right? Oh, he's right. The, I mean, this, this is. Girl, <laughs> he's got the, the rich island uh, kingdom, and he decides he's a little too emo to stick around, and so he leaves it all behind in search of inner peace.
0: Right. So, yeah. So we <laughs> actually pick up after uh, he has walked away from it all, which is a, 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 kind of a Michael Moorcock thing, right? He describes himself as an anarchist. So in a lot of his stories, there's all these powerful gods and, and and rulers, and at the end, his hero is always choosing to find his own way, regardless, which is you know, uh, Michael Moorcock's sort of thing. Find your own way. Everyone else just get out of my way. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's it. This falls after the events of the Fortress of the Black Pearl, but that was published in. I want to say 89 and I think this was published in like 76. Yeah, it was, it was 76. So you know, as we learned with, with uh, his, his last release, he is, he's perfectly happy inserting stories in, especially since really the, the Elric story has a pretty hard ending to it. When, when you get to the <laughs> end, it, it ends.
1: If, and if you recall from from our interview with him he doesn't go back and and reread what he's already written he doesn't worry so much about the uh consistencies but he still remains
0: fairly consistent though um but yeah he doesn't the
1: first time the the eternal champions actually meet was it book one, book three, book two?
0: Well, that that rather depends. But if you, if you notice, I mean, four of them four of them meet in the first story here, um, which Elric doesn't remember once that adventure is done. Um, and of course, Corum is like, well, we have all met. You know, three of us have met before. We three who are one, and and nobody remembers that, but Corum. So he's he's got little things like that that he can that he can draw upon so that that in continuity doesn't become an issue for the, the big crossovers like that. Yeah. Like, come on. A four way eternal champion team up. Hell no. <laughs> yeah.
2: This, this is very much like a, a side quest because it, it is inserted, you know, into this timeline after the main, you know, events, you know, essentially that yeah. like Bob, it, it has a very much a beginning and an end that was published in the early sixties. And since then, it's been a lot of like, let's insert what is Elric doing <laughs> The month after when i didn't detail that out and it's great for to have the, mm-hmm. the conceit of, oh he doesn't remember it right you know as a as a kind of like a, a, a exit out of it but it also is it's very rich you know in terms of like it's still it's expanding the mythology you know especially of his race and this world going mm-hmm. back in the third story all the way to the roots of the ancient you know people that they you know that were driven out by the meetings of these uh the gods right which is I love that story <laughs> That's, They're all they're actually all these three all three of these are really nice, but the first and the second ones I think are are my favorite definitely out of
0: out of the three. So well, and there's so many there's so many great little little bits of business in the descriptions you know in in the first story as they're looking at these ruined buildings and they notice that the shadows of the buildings reveal how they looked when they were once whole. and they look well that one looks sort of like a machine well it looks like a machine and a musical instrument and they're kind of piecing together so you get this idea that these ruins are of this bizarre almost futuristic realm Mm -hmm. and it's it's still not what any of them believe it to be yeah
2: i i have to say it it was such a pleasure that we had michael moorcock on the show and it's been nearly a year looking back i think it was was october of last year and to get a chance to actually properly handle one of his stories and is is really rewarding but just just reflecting on that interview and how generous he was with his time and you know you know just i i i really feel a connection to much deeper connection to these stories after having done that then the first time I read them when I was very young, you know, I was in my teens. I think when I when I first read the Elric stories, and obviously there was some published since then that I haven't caught up on yet. But this one was one I got a chance to read again, and after we, you know, had talked to to, to Michael, it's just it it just reinforces just you know a lot of his energy or his presence or his anarchic you know demeanor or just you know it's just it's it's all part of this and I, um I really appreciated that. and just you know folks who may not have had a chance to listen to that one or watch that one, um go check it out. it's It's worth it, you know, just from the rambling nature, but also just the the deep nature of the conversation, I think. so.
0: Well, and if you felt close to the stories then, um, I don't I don't have it scheduled yet, but uh, we're we're talking right now to uh, to have him back on the show, hopefully in November or December of this year. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So
1: (laughs) No pressure now, right?
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, was almost
1: easier last time, Bob.
0: Nah, now now it's now now we know Mike.
1: Talk. Oh, okay, I'm willing
2: okay. to go to his house and set up the. <laughs> He's nearby. Just I'll do it. I'll I'll check out his wallpaper <laughs>
0: and report back.
1: Yes, I want a thread count.
0: <laughs> Bring back some swamp juice. Uh yeah, Ooh,
1: yeah. But, um,
0: but yeah, so so. Okay, so hopefully, getting back
1: to the story at hand, um, the three different. Uh, mini uh, novellas if you will uh, seem to have different tones right like the first one is very dreamlike even in the way he remembers it the second one's a little bit more hey basic adventure of the week um, I found the third to be exceptionally bleak <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> that's fair
2: <laughs> yeah it's, it's very much that arc of Elric of yes you end up uh hurting those who you love the friends you know come to appreciate or admire and it's all feels meaningless right kind of in his perspective right not necessarily in the the larger perspective you know of the being (laughs) you're controlling him but you know he has I think like there's a quote from the end of the, the story where he's looking at the dead body of one of these sailors that basically was a casualty of you know Duke Avon's um service and he's saying he won't be remembered they don't even bury him you know he, all, and it's and it's like that's that's what life is you know essentially you know and um it is a very bleak ending you know despite the fact that he escapes with you know it, it, his companions Megorian um or Baldhead, um you know he's he's got what he wants he he's he's got the treasure that he wants to take back to you know to reclaim his honor elric doesn't care for that doesn't you know you know there's nothing that that he can be sated by in those terms
0: well there's definitely a bleakness to the finish of the first right after you know you have you have the four eternal champions each (laughs) with four companions many of whom fall (laughs) along the way and then the rest have their flesh and bones and muscle and sinew all merged together to create this four in one being and when they are released, most of them are just utterly broken and insane and are just left lying there crying and drooling or rocking and there's nothing to be done. And so they're just left behind as lost. I mean, that's, that's pretty bleak too, right? <laughs> 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 but it, At but
1: least we got gore, right? Uh, <laughs> but How it, but it also...
0: I think it also, you know, properly plays out how mind shattering something like that would be. You know, a lot yeah. of times in a fantasy novel, it'd be, oh, they're merged together and now poof, they're apart and they carry on. Nope, not not, not <laughs> in an Elric story. Uh, Elric stories have consequences if you are a normal be- normal mortal being. Yeah, we were joking before
2: we started about how this is kind of the second horror we've had in a row. It's like a cosmic horror in this case. Just yeah. Yeah how that turns out you know for his companions and for the ones that survive
1: <laughs> just wait till next month um uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now i'm i'm really intrigued about the fact that these seem to be three completely uh independently published novellas mark did you have some notes on that one
2: well this they were the latter two stories are reworkings of two or smaller novellas i think the um the book two is the lands beyond the world is what it was originally you know published as and the third one sailing to the past is a revision of the jade man's eyes so this was actually published as a book though in 1976 so i think mr moore carger michael likes to revisit and revise stories and and when he does so in a novel you know novel form he's taken an opportunity to sort of like make them connected right so obviously he's building a connection between that the news the the book one is kind of the original one right the the one that's that's very different you know from from the other two in the, in the scale and the scope of, of you know the events and it's also connected to his later you know or his you know his work that he's been doing on internal champions but the other two stories are things that have been published before but this is a book that was published you know by itself just with some connection to you know the previous um Work that he'd done.
0: Well, that sort of fits with how the original Elric stories were uh, you know, originally published separately in magazines, and then were yeah. were wound a little more closely together when they were published in book form. Uh, and it works. Most, he didn't. Right? <laughs> he didn't have to create a bridging story, which which often doesn't work. You know, oh, he just yeah. made some alterations, and it all flows really nicely. And uh, no, bleeds, I,
1: mean, I did find. Great. I, I did find an interesting uh, token nerd moment here. Uh, the Jade Man's Eyes was originally printed as a chapbook that was printed in green ink.
0: So, oh, that's,
1: here's that's a nerd cool. Moment, oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> All right. Christmas list. We'll, we'll
1: hit uh, nerd uh, word nerd stuff later on with Mark, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well yeah a, a, pre-cur- a preview of that is that you know michael moorcock's not really somebody who focuses on like extreme language right like in some of the authors that we've had um it's a very readable stories you know these are, mm-hmm. these are things that they they don't they're not slow or boring but they are you know engaging at a level where you don't have to like every other page look up a word right you know which <laughs> right.
1: it,
0: it,
2: some people don't like that style and and this is but this is a very much a very readable form it's it you but know it's still rich earth, it's still rich yeah it's still very rich and it's in it, it is his description of you know combat and you know this interactions that it doesn't get old to me you know it's it's it seems despite that it's it's a very much a recurring theme that keeps coming up about how you know, he, he he has this, you know, weight on him from the doom mm-hmm. from the sword that he carries. You know, it, it's even though you can kind of foretell a lot of the ending, he makes the characters, you know, really stand out. And, you know, Eric, Elric's inner mind is what you're really, you know, feeling a part of. And so I I think he does an excellent job, you know, just in terms of, of course he does, right? I mean, he's... he's yeah, <laughs> I, mean, so.
1: I mean, I'm still a fan of Coram over Elric simply hmm. because, you know less emo okay
0: <laughs> but, but that is exactly exactly what Alric is supposed to be right it's it's the angsty team
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. he's the angsty one Kugel's the uh right I, I don't I don't think there's a similar main character I can't even call him a protagonist uh I don't think there's a similar character in the genre. Right. I think of the main character in so oh. many other appendix and stories, and so few of them are just so club, You club. Know?
0: Well, but it's not just them. Right. Elric. Elric is not the mighty fune barbarian who who hacks his way through foes. He's, you know, his vision is bad. His body is weak. He, he requires elixir I mean, and, and and the power <laughs> drawn from the sword as he as a you know, Stormbringer is siphoning life out of things so that he can continue forward. So he's he really stands out, I, I think, as as unique as a as a very flawed. You know, I, I'm loath to call him a hero. You're right, right? but but he's <laughs> he's a very flawed character.
2: Yeah, I mean he's a, he's a champion a tool and service of some, you know, universe, right. That's, that's obviously organized around pitting, you know, resolving or, or the, the never, you know, never ending battle between the forces of chaos and law. And, you know, it, and it, 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 I think that's, that is like the core element that really sort of carried or stands the test of time. And in, in some ways, because he, you know, he, he recognizes that to a certain level. Right. And I think that's where his, Nihilism is, you know, his melancholy, his sort of like, you know, yeah, from so no melancholy,
1: just
0: (laughs) (laughs) But also, when you talk about how the the text never grows, grows boring or rote. You know, when he when he goes into battle and he, you know, he draws Stormbringer, it's not just this crack of power and he sets to, you know, as it's, as it's building up and the, and the blade begins its keening song and it gets louder. There's so much descriptive depth to what is going on before it finally, you know, before the runes burst into light. And I, I never, I never grow tired of those descriptions <laughs> because they're always different and they're fantastic.
1: That's true. It's, Elric is it's a very a
0: cinematically character. written character.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But Have well,
0: there ever been any like media form? So, form? I, I, I'm not familiar. Okay, so Wendy, Wendy Peeney, um, one of the creators of ElfQuest, spent uh-huh. years trying to do a an Elric film. There was uh, the rights for an Elric film were eventually procured. I forget which, uh, which studio had them. And then though they dropped that, they went to another studio, but I think nothing's happened with that since like 2012. Um, the closest, if you want to see um, the, a, a live action Elric, the closest to official you would ever see would be in the uh, Hawkwind concert film, uh, the Chronicles of the Black Sword, where hmm. there, where you know Michael Moorcock is there providing narration for the, for Elric's story, and there is a performer on stage as Elric. Interesting. So, so if you can find that, and I mean, you know, Michael Moorcock's there; he wrote some of the stuff. And so to me, that's that's official publishers. <laughs> um, so that would be the the only chance you have to see an official live Elric at the moment. Okay. Which is which is a shame. I mean, it's it's a great character. And uh, there's so many there, there, there's been so many people over the years that would have been fantastic. If David Bowie might have been a really good, mm.
1: public,
0: right? Um yeah. okay,
1: okay, so so I'm going to bridge this back into the show and <laughs> we, we can't get it in film, right? But you could have it at your table. Yes. So, what yes. would you stat? To That's bring true. this story to your table
0: um you know i would start i would start with uh you know the 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 tubes of of yellow liquid elric's drugs uh perhaps there's something that you could uh that a character could use to boost strength and stamina if they're if they've got like a five or a six or less right so and it, it doesn't bring them up yeah, it doesn't bring them up to like mighty. It doesn't give them eighteens, but maybe it brings them up to average for short periods of time.
1: It's rid of the negative bonus or yeah, multiplier. Yeah.
0: But with an ongoing cost. Uh, obviously, yeah. uh, you know, Elric Hawkmoon, Quorum, Urikoze, the Eternal Champions, especially since we have a spell, Eternal Champion, in DCC. Um, and of course, really, if you look, if you look at the four of them any of the four of them are closer to like the 36 plus result than say 12 (laughs) or 14 result um they even come with their own you know uh, red shirts you know As uh, that, yeah (laughs) um i almost think that you could add you could add a 40 plus result to that spell that requires prior multiple successful castings at like the 36th level so that you could, I mean, quorum references we three who are one and then there's the four who are one. So perhaps you could uh, add something to the spell so that you could create such a, uh, such an amalgam through the spell or, or through other means.
1: Um, well, and four was the max. For, four was the, four was
0: the maximum to safely bring together without (laughs) damaging the universes i thought that was that was a a pretty important note as well um agak and uh, gagak would be really cool (laughs) as like outsider wizard patrons Mm -hmm. because they're so alien and so different and you know patrons always want something well you know what they want they want to slowly convert the universe into energy that they can absorb and use in warfare in their home universe. Mm-hmm. Um, Very much a spellburn friendly. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> and and maybe maybe uh, if you spellburn more than X number of points, you, they keep some of it. You know, uh, yeah. Yeah. there was something about so there was um, hound or hound serpent tamer. And, uh, I was really struck by the description of his shimmering green armor mm. and, uh, it, it doesn't seem to have any, you know, magical properties, uh, other than it is shimmering and green, but, but that kind of, kind of caught me as interesting. And then he's got his, his song where he was able to, to calm serpents. He really is a serpent tamer. That might be fun. Um, how about <laughs> cursed blades that players still want to use? Right? I mean, always, you know, oh, it's a cursed sword. What's it do? Well, you go to attack and, it's, and it stabs you or stabs your friend instead. Well, then now I just need to get rid of it. Ah, but you can't let go of it. That's generally how cursed weapons have been been written in a number of, of systems in the past. It was kind of, it's kind of lame. Um, I love the idea you know, where he describes um, his salvation and his nemesis, his great black battle blade Stormbringer. Um, you know, Stormbringer is—it's a powerful weapon, but it is a curse. And creating creating a a subset of weapons like that, where there's consequences, but they're balanced, or they're ba- or they're close enough balanced that in the short term, you think you're going to be okay. I I really I'd love to do something like that. Um, there was the the primitive slime beasts when they when they entered Gagak and uh, one of the things I liked about them, it really seemed in DCC terms, it really seemed like a swarm, right? The way they, they flooded down and they're, they're slashing through dozens of them as they go. But it was a swarm that didn't require area of effect actions, right? You didn't have to be casting spells. You could hit them with a sword and diminish them. And I thought that was uh, that was kind of nice and different, as well as you know, kind of oogie, right? I mean, they had like a bone plate for teeth, and they were mostly slime. And they had this sort
2: of like noxious cloud that sort of like
0: accompanied them, or they yeah, know, stifling in the you know the air around them. So. They were uh, they were utterly disgusting and alien. Uh, but I just that's that's something that because there really isn't uh, a mechanic for slashing through multiple foes in in DCC. Um, You know, obviously judges discretion with like mighty deeds, but beyond that, there really isn't anything. (laughs) So the idea that you could have a swarm or you could treat them uh, like a a colony, like maybe a, a primordial ooze or primordial slime, where it's okay, well, it has this many hit points by this size, and every hit is taking down one of these things, but there's just so many of them um that that level of representation for a for a mass combat with with them i i think has a lot of potential for dcc because dcc is a is a game of of moments in my opinion so, uh that's that's what i've got what about you mark um i
2: was really taken by the um the reptilian creatures that they encounter in the third book that are trying to defend you know the, the forest or the jungle The olavs i think is what they end up you know, discovering the names for but they had these kind of cool weapons with these crystalline discs that could decapitate or slice off somebody's arm you know that they would fling with clubs you know uh sort of like launch them but they're described very you know they have these stork like legs and these kind of short forearms and human-like features right um i just thought those were kind of cool monsters that have you know kind of a unique um you know weapon that's presented and and certainly overpowering because they're resistant to even stormbringers power you know where elric finds that when he wounds them it it only sucks part of their essence not doesn't instantly do so right and and even he's overwhelmed by these creatures where perhaps two of them out of dozens are slain in this attack on the boat until he summons you know aid from um from another uh, creature which i also thought would be great to to um uh stat up uh, as a patron which is I'll try this you know, <laughs> of the insect folk, you know, or N-ur-ish. N-ur-ish. Yeah. <laughs> of the insect folk, um, you know, who would be a great patron, you know, since he's um obviously very alien demon-like, you know, in his uh in his allusions to, you know, his and his commanding these dragonfly creatures or other insects that come in and, and, and save Elric and his companions. Um, he'd be a great patron to write up. Oh, um, yeah.
1: Sounds
2: like a great patron for monsters too yeah oh that's yeah that that's a cool one you know where you can associate them with you know you know monstrous uh beings and races um wind elementals that uh that elric mentions you know because his people have a pact going back you know through the the hundred centuries that they've you know existed on the dragon isles And then with all these kind of creatures, and he mentions the sylphs of the breeze, the Sharnaz, who lived in the storms, and the most powerful of all, the Harassians, the creatures of the whirlwinds, you know, and he calls upon them to bring the breeze um, and, you know, propel the boat to escape uh, to the Crimson Gate. And of course, you know, his sorcery is hard to work in that that land. Um, But just the idea that, you know, these elements in control, not necessarily of like a physical manifestation of them, other than the effects, you know, that they have, is kind of a, a cool sorceress, um, you know, casting and spell. Yeah. Um I don't wanna Have you pronounce it again? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Bob, I'll let you pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> um, the <that'd be> <laughs> oh, um, I
1: apologize the same, to our listeners.
2: <laughs> during Bernazes. the same battle when they're they're battling um Agok and Gagak, that they, they, you know, they're attacked by giant baboons, you know, which are, are
0: terrifying. Terrifying, baboons are terrifying, let alone giant
2: baboons. It's the like, tearing and rending, you know, the the warriors, these hardy warriors from you know across the the, the centuries, you know, and and, and <laughs> are heroes in their own right, but they can't stand against these giant baboons. And I, I love the menace of like a a familiar animal, but that is is just when it becomes you know, enlarged or, you know, has a totally aggressive, you know, feel to it, it just, it feels overwhelming. And even they almost falter at this, uh, you know, this assault.
0: And what are giant baboons doing in <laughs> 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 well, and, they, and, and People are like having their heads. I mean, baboons are terrifying. You know, and they're like tearing people's heads off because now they're gigantic. That yeah. was there are movies about terror, about killer baboons to begin with. So this that that imagery just kind of set me back on my heels. I'm like, nope, I draw the line there. I'm turning back down the stairs. Elara Clockmoon, good to meet you guys. Good luck. I'll be back at the boat. <laughs> yeah you can
2: almost you can almost sort of group it with the you know the giant ape has a few different variants like the you know in the in the basic book yes. you could have like a, a subsection sort of built out on giant baboons oh my god um I love the scene when um when they're uh, trying to escape um uh, from the the other source or the other uh I can't remember his name now uh uh go back sexy you know and and he he realizes that the the riderless horse is, you know, coming after him and he says, sink the boat, sink it with lead catapults or lead shots, you know, from the catapults. And that was something that I'd never thought of, you know, just in terms of like, just get these great lumps of of hard material and use it as a weapon, you know, in this case to to sink this floating, you know, menace that he, he, he saw. So I love the idea of like alternate shots or alternate types of weapons, you know, uh, that you can load into your catapults.
1: I don't and know, like, that th- sounds like a foreshadowing to the next tournament. <laughs> <laughs> no one, you. <knew. laughs>
2: um, and the last thing I had was, I re- really love that scene where he is um, having to confront Ariok, And he is given this gem with a small image of the Jade Man in it. And Ariok tells him, you know, you can't command me. No one can command me unless you have the gem, you know, and Elric has, of course, has this gem, but it's only used one time. He cannot use it more than that. It's like the area tells him, it is only good this once. And once it's done, you cannot command me again. And I love that it's sort of like a, a very limited, powerful magic object. And it's up to the players to figure out when is the, the right time? You know, do I hold on to this or is this the key moment? It's very much in that DCC sort of convention vein of like, you could you could spell burn everything because you think this is the big final you know boss or monster that you're confronting. But you know, what yeah. happens after that? You know, you know, yep. carrying forward and even in that, you know, you know, what are the consequences of of using up all of your 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 possessions or your
0: magic, you know, in this and and because you and you might be right, you might be wrong. So if ever such such an item appears at a table that I'm playing, don't let me have the item. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'm I'm that guy. We're like, okay, well, we're not going to use it now. We're going to use it later. I'll put it in the backpack, and it will be forgotten, and we'll <laughs> all be dead. And so we're like, hey, didn't we have a gem with like the jade man inside that we could use once? <laughs> oh man, yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh. It's that, it's that feeling of yeah. the zero <laughs> level that
2: you you left all the luck on the table, you know? For yeah, <laughs>
0: no. Well, like when we play tested DCC 100, I was the one that had the the little device that, that changed everything. I'm like, yeah, no, we're not messing with this thing. I just put it in the backpack and we kept yeah. going, which yeah. really kind of served us pretty it. well for a lot of
1: Bob <laughs> <laughs> broke it, yeah. What uh, about you, Jen? Uh, Well, just to underline uh, one of Bob's upcoming projects, uh, Pirates! Yes. <laughs> Um, I would love to put together uh, something for the ship itself. Since the captain is blind, we don't have evidence of how the ship is controlled. At least nothing uh, concrete. His brother's
0: mute. Yeah. What's that? And his brother is mute.
1: So there's obviously some sort of relationship with the ship itself. And you can't tell me that it's not sentient. I I don't know if I would believe that. And I think we'll touch on that later, Bob. Um, The rune rune swords themselves would be very interesting to stat up. Uh, Like Bob mentioned, the cursed blades that players would still want to use. The DCC animal actually gives us some really cool tips Mm. to create either the patron weapons Or that powerful argumentative sword. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was looking at the facets of the eternal champions as those of a patron, uh, maybe building on the three fates. We've got the, the multiple facets of the eternal champion and... You might not always be summoning the same one each time. That, I, yeah, it's kind of a small list, but I, I figured I would let you guys pontificate for a while, and <laughs> you know, I, I've got stuff coming. Don't worry. Um Well, it, in, it, it know, will in be so in the audio section, though. <laughs> in in
0: some way, in some ways, the Eternal Champion is is almost a patron power being themselves but not mm-hmm. a not a patron you know there's just slivers of them throughout throughout the uh, throughout the multiverses you know these different which facets be- and they're not all aligned for one side or the other
1: which would be another argument for the patron weapon where part of a character is actually within the weapon that you're wielding Hmm. And that's where the power of it comes from. Yeah,
0: oh,
1: fair. Uh, so I guess uh, moving along, we're trying to bring this to the table. So, audio recommendations might be welcome. Uh, mine would come before the game. So, go listen to the audiobook. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, Mark, you might have something a little more useful for setting the mood. During or adjacent
2: to a game, it, the only thing I, I come up with is that um, a band I really like, Blind Guardian, has uh, a few songs, a few albums that are inspired by, you know, Elric stories. The, the couple that I I remembered were the the ones that refer to Tanalorn, which is this city of neutrality at the center of the universe, and it's sort of talked about in the first story. You know, as this you know, timeless city, or it comes in many forms. There's some speculation between the champions about is, you know, the city they go to, to defeat uh, the sorcerers is it you know, a version of Tan-a-lorn. Um, So they have um, a song called Tan-a-lorn, um, which is off their at the edge of time album. They have another one called the quest for Tantalorne, which is from their somewhere far beyond album. And just as a plug, the, my favorite album, there's this one that's, you know, a, about uh, Tolkien, which is the uh, nightfall in middle earth. I listen to that quite a lot, especially when I'm just want something that I'm, you know, editing music or writing music, just to have in the background. Um, so, Blind Guardian, it's it's probably a, a, a band that folks are familiar with, you know. But um, definitely check them out if you um, if you get the chance. Uh, they they're really cool and um, just like their music. So that's, that's what I had. I know Bob, you are prepared with the <laughs>
0: list.
1: <laughs> Sailors on the sea, or sailor on the seas of fate.
0: Well, yeah. first of all, I was, I was not familiar with blind guardian. So, um, if I, you know, hunting them down just for the, for the Spotify list and listening to them, I greatly enjoyed them. I'm definitely going to be, uh, be listening to, to more of their stuff, uh, because it was just a lot of fun and, uh, just good stuff. So for me, let's see. Um, I would probably start with the band uh, Numenor, and they have an album called uh, Colossal Darkness, and the entire album's really good. But specifically, they have uh, two songs on there: Eternal Champion and The Sailor on the Seas of Fate, which are mm. directly inspired by by the the book we read. Who would
1: have guessed?
0: <laughs> of course, Sailors on the Seas of Fate has inspired a number of uh, a number of songs. There's a uh, um Osiris Castles Zagax and uh Winter Tree have all done done uh, their their songs inspired by the story uh, but you know if you're going to talk Elric and music you've got to dive into Blue Oyster Cult with things like Black Blade and of course Hawkwind the uh, Chronicle of the Black Sword Live Chronicles, which is their their live version with narration by Michael Moorcock, uh, and of course the their concert movie, The Chronicles of the Black Sword, uh, as well as I would include Warrior on the Edge of Time by Hawkwind, which which also has some material written by Moorcock. Um, that's kind of the, the the core that I would build out from there, because uh, there's just there's some fantastic stuff out there but but that's that's where i would start i think for these the when we when we did our first elric story in the long long ago that was episode four of sanctus we had a much kind of wider variety because there was a lot of there was a lot of atmospheric music that really sort of fit and i didn't find as much that really fit the atmosphere because the atmospheres for these stories were so, so ethereal and they were dreamlike, but they weren't, you know, normally if I'm going like dreamlike music, I'm thinking like, you know, like electronica and things of that nature. And it didn't feel like that sort of, sort of a dreamlike.
1: No. So uh, I, I think. That, does it feel like new agey, yeah. yeah no so i think i think we
0: had a, a, a some really solid stuff there and again um i had never i never listened to blind guardian Mark recommended them, and let me tell you, having listened to them, I I am behind that all the way. That was uh, a fantastic discovery for me today. Do you want to add those to the
1: Spotify playlist?
0: Oh, they're they're on the Spotify
1: playlist. Oh, okay, cool.
0: Yeah, awesome. I just didn't put the Very audiobooks cool. on the uh, Spotify <laughs> because I didn't find them on Spotify. But you no know, any any music that we find, I you know, and that we recommend, if it's on Spotify, it goes on the Spotify list. Uh, today's uh, this episode Spotify list. Is shorter than some of the others. It's like maybe three, three and a half hours. I know we've clocked in as many as like eleven, but yeah. uh, three, three and a half hours. It's wow. a, it's like a ninety-page book, people. You know, I think, I think three <laughs> hours is good. Yeah.
1: All right, now's the time I've been waiting for. Keep <laughs> from <finish> the day.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, this, this one was a little bit like searching for the right thing that stood out to me. um The word that that I leaped at, you know, when I first saw it on the page was YOY! Because that's where Count Smigorian <laughs> is basically using that, uh, that in his battle exultations, you know, and it's Y-O-Y. Um, but I looked at that word and I was like, is that a misprint in my <laughs> version of the book? No, but it actually <laughs> turns out to be, you know, an old English form of yay or, you know, like a cry of exultation And and I, I really love the, the first time I'd seen that word, you know, in, in print or used. And I love the fact that it gives this character some background and you know, feeling and flavor. That he's he's a he's obviously a ship captain, and he's using sort of you know this in a in a way that uh, you know that that carries his personality into this battle. As he's joining Elric to to you know fend off or to you know he joins Elric to uh, to basically complete the battle that Elric started with these brigands. Um, The other thing that he does is he insults those brigands by calling them coast huggers. I love the the combination of just like an insult that, you know, on the face of it is just two words you put together, but it's so depth and meaningful, you know, coming from a ship captain with his experience and saying, they're not real sailors, they're coast huggers. And I love that (laughs) term and that phrase. Turn
1: nice, um, kind of
2: landlubber, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's nice. It's better than landlubbers. You know, they're all they're just off the edge of the the land, but they can't quite <laughs> you know extend themselves to the open waters. And,
0: uh, well, I I love things like that. Having having lived on the the Gulf Coast of of Florida when I was in school, we you know in Sarasota we would refer to people with surfboards as ripple riders because <laughs> there was no surf in Sarasota. <laughs> so they have coast huggers and things like that. yeah, just sort of it's it's an insult but it insults them you know not not overly not in an overly harsh way linguistically but by diminishment of exactly um, i love the what they really can accomplish yeah
2: um the last word that i wanted to call out was that a few times you know you know elric is in communication with stormbringer but it's not a sentient you know communication but it's a very querulous you know um you know feeling that he has from this you know from what it's giving him and i love that word querulous you know and it's one of these things that you know just isn't you know for me that's that when i see that it's 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 not an uncommon word but it's also one of those things that you know uh, it really conveys that feeling of his you know his his relationship with Stormbringer. so um that's another one i want to highlight um but yeah it, like i said Mostly, you know, Michael Moorcock is very making a very readable work. This is not a work that you have to feel intimidated by as far as like having to, you know, encounter something that you you, you have to research or, or look up. But yeah, it's, there's
1: not a lexicon, right? It's not
2: a lexicon, but it's but it's very engaging. And there's a few things that you know just you know, I, you you spot in the text and you're like, yo, that's it. That's what I want to take away. <laughs> Give me more yoy. You
1: you know I'm going to start asking for the OED ratings on these.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should put those in the notes. Are <laughs> right, you going to do that, yoy or noy? Uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, the new segment yoy. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <Ow. laughs> All right, should we move on to uh, reskins and existing inspirations and Jen, I mean, you we, want to start us off with
1: We list a couple of sources that we can use to help with stats, but um, you could just pick up some things that have already been written and statted out and fleshed out for you and reskin them. Uh, for instance, from *Angels, Demons, and Beings Between*, which was originally published, I want to say 2013-ish, mm-hmm. by Dragon's Horde Publishing, uh, subsequently uh, republished by Goodman Games. Uh, um, um, launch father of the wave as a patron of the sea. And I I really dig some of the details that they've included for that one uh, Blood for the serpent King kind of it not kind of it really does uh, feel to me like that third story with the lizard the serpentine or lizard folk and the various levels of, uh, garb that they wear and and the interaction level like some of the cultural stigma between the different lizard folk if you will Um, I said I wanted to start up that ship and what I might just do is grab the magic car of Amperdat beer from DCC Dying Earth
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then it, as far as traversing the different planes. um there's a fun mcc story uh written by mr brinkman uh, the never when rock it really does take you from one place to the other Mm -hmm. and one of my favorite little esoteric gems is within the 13th skull written by mr goodman in fact um There is a book that not many parties have discovered this when I run it. But depending on the page they turn to, they can be transported to a completely different plane. So if you're looking for something that can take your party from one place to the other without a big MacGuffin, if you will, here's your book.
0: Did I leave that book in my backpack? I remember. No, was, I remember was, playing it that. Big.
1: It was a little too big for you.
0: Okay, mm-hmm.
1: little dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you got, Mark?
2: Um, mine were more inspired by that. You could potentially run with. I mean, I don't know if you could lightly reskin these, but you could certainly use them as very similar, you know, inspirations to the stories. One that I was going to. Um, you know, call out is the the DCC tournament that we did in 2018, I think, which was Riders on the phlogiston. and it takes place over three different planes of existence. You know, in effect, you know, taking you from a very sort of MCC area to a, a you know to the uh, the mountains of the Shuttering, the, the Shutter Mountains, and then you know, ultimately you know, taking to uh I can't remember the you know the, the basically the last the last areas is, is kind of future you know purple planet ish. And so it's very nice to have like a, an adventure to give you an idea of how you can contain all that, you know, within um the same storyline. And I think that you know folks who haven't had a chance to play in the tournaments might want to just check it out from a you know just a uh inspirational standpoint, you know, since there's so much of this, you know, multi-dimensional you know, uh, parts of the Elric stories. The next few that I looked at were really just more um, spitting off of the the Jade Man in the last story. This idea, of this huge edifice, you know, what is it? You know, and it turns out in the story, it's actually the physical manifestation of Ariok, you know, the Chaos Lord. But there's a few stories that I really like that you know idea of a statue and you know uh, of what is the origin of that, and some of them. You know, you could reskin to be, you know, this, um, you know, a godlike, you know, or, or, or origin. The Falcade Idol by Daniel Bishop has a mechanical creature or or thing that's, uh, you know, that's the the ultimate thing you encounter. But it also has these orbs for eyes, and it made me, you know, the eyes of the Jade Man being removed, mm. and added back in, made me think of that adventure and how you could take the concept of this being in a statue with missing eyes and. You know how you could use that in uh in your your monster creation and and you know what happens when it puts its eyes back in um there's a dcc dying earth adventure that julian wrote called the laughing idol of larshan and in yes. that one there you know the the monks of this you know uh, monastery are using it to basically you know have the the people of the nearby village give them bring them you know goods and consumables and you know they sell their their elixirs or their 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 drinks but it, you know one thing the characters can do is sort of activate this uh uh you know this statue at the end and and of course it could have consequences that um they don't they don't really particularly predict or or enjoy um similarly there's a uh the brendan lasalle convention module the accursed heart of the world ender is another one of these sort of you know um statues that turns out to be um you know able to devastate whole worlds you know potentially you know when it's activated if it's if things go wrong and that's a zero level funnel if people are looking for another funnel adventure that's different from you know some of the usual ones that people get um get brought into the system and uh, and I, I like that adventure quite a lot and um it was only available as a convention module but you can of course go to the goodman game store and, and get a copy of it um the other ones that I thought about, you know, obviously, intrigue at the court of chaos is a very Elric appropriate adventure where you have the gods and the lords, lords of law, and the, the the gods of chaos competing over the the PCs and their role and in, and in, and in this, and so I can't recommend that adventure enough. If you are new to DCC, it's an adventure that takes you all the way to from level one to. Within the same level, of course, confronting the gods themselves, you know, and that's very much it, you know, what DCC is, you know that that you can be, like you said, Jen, transported to another dimension or plane just by reading a book. or in this case, you have to go to the court of chaos itself and you're you're, you're what do you do in that case? you know, and and, yeah. and it's a very fun adventure that when Did I ran it for a group
1: <laughs> <laughs> um
2: a couple other ones or one other one to shout out that i I wanted to make sure I mentioned was. Michael Curtis wrote. Uh, uh, he wrote uh, Intrigued at the Court of Chaos*. He also wrote a sixth-level adventure called *Imprisoned in the God Skull*, and that adventure just made me think of Agak and uh, and and his sister, the buildings that they go into, and how they are. They don't realize until the end that they are living creatures. The God Skull is in that adventure is a mysterious, you know, sort of object that's been invaded by these um you know these these alien plants and it also is imprisoning this you know this kind of ancient power um and it can again have these sort of like dim- dimension changing or, or you know world shaping you know events that that you know that happen at the end of it um and it's also one of those rare adventures that's very high level you know, which, um, you know, there's a few examples of that, but um, Michael Curtis does an excellent job, you know, just um, yeah. conveying like sort of the, the scale at that level and, and making the menaces appropriate um, and consequential. Um, and the last thing I just wanted to shout out for folks who aren't familiar with it, but basic role playing or the BRP system did an excellent, um, you know, c- uh, role playing game called Stormbringer um, based on the Elric stories. Um I highly recommend that just for people checking out what the setting is, you know, for a role playing setting, if people want some inspiration, um, uh, you know, or if they can, if they want to take that setting and use it in DCC, you know, that's, that's a very rich, you know, uh, publication and um, just well worth diving into for, you know, what it presents as far as some of the, the, the spells and the history and the characters and and those things. So um I think it's out of print it's been out of print for a long time. And you know it's um if you happen to go to Half Price bookstore or one of those kind of similar bookstores and grab a copy, you should um if you find one. So
0: it yeah, definitely out of print. And, and if you go back and listen to our interview with Michael Moorcock, you'll know why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but then there were but but it is those box sets cause there's also one for uh I know there was one for Hawkmoon. Mm-hmm. So they they did a couple in those boxes. Yeah, they did. They did. Wow. Yeah, um, they detailed kind of the young kingdoms. Yes. Yeah. And they were they were really nicely done. Uh, and you know, Jen, I'm, while I'm, while I'm thinking about it, you bring up the uh, the flying car of Amperdathvir. I kind of wonder if uh, tanalorn could almost be a stand-in for uh, Amperdathvir. You know, just oh, especially, right. <laughs> especially the because we we see Tannelorn in the first story, but we don't. We see echoes and castoffs of what it like, what it might have been, as hey, opposed to perfect. what it actually is. So, yeah. so how, it, how is we, almost, it's,
2: it is almost like a city described as it, it's it's through the ages, right? So it can take on many forms, and and I think that's yeah. a good, you know good way of introducing it. So yeah,
1: I like that
0: um you know immediately i started thinking you, know, you could take you could take pieces from peril on the purple planet with a small number of tweaks you easily have this blue sun world of uh, sailing into the presence and just you know, surround surrounded surrounded by water give it kind of that weird alien feel to it but i think i think my big reskin, and and jen partially inspires this would be sailors on the starless sea um, you uh-huh. Change change the dragon ship. Give it give it a, a new form, but then you give it a new form, new captain, and a new purpose that lasts far beyond the adventure. So you mm-hmm. could use it to drive the campaign forward. It doesn't necessarily have to be sentient and kind of a dick, uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> which which ours was when we were playing. But, but oh, you can God. have something like that where. You know you 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 move move some of the the missing villagers forward so they can be found and then the party finds this the ship and it's waiting for them and it brings mm-hmm. them aboard and so you have this reason to go place to place and move a campaign forward and maybe during campaign play all right well, these characters have kind of you know these three of the five people at the table those characters have have met what they needed to do so those those players bring in new characters of of equal level and keep going so you can keep it fresh and make it, it make essentially the ship the focus of the campaign as it moves forward it's it's the protagonist with the with the characters then handling everything but it's the the ship that knows what's happening
1: mm-hmm we were about three sessions away from finishing before uh, the campaign came to an abrupt halt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like that. Killing.
1: I mean, I, I might re-up re, re that. But uh, anyway, oh, we digress heavily. I apologize. Um was there anything else on your list, Bob? Those those are kind
0: of my my keys that hadn't already been covered. But I think it's it's worth noticing that uh, Sleepy Fingers has mentioned that Curse of the Kingspire really does have some Melibanean vibes as well. Hmm. So that that might be a, a good one to to pick up for reskinning.
1: I yeah, what I'm hearing is that I need to spend my lunch hours uh, in the stacks in the warehouse now.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not like you have a shortage of, of-
1: <laughs> no, just time. Okay, um, th- but speaking of gems that could be found within the stacks, uh, that's going to bring us to our DCC feature for this show. Not in Kansas anymore, by Dieter Zimmerman. Uh, you can find this in the Goodman Games 2016 gemcon Program Guide and. Bob, have fun with this. I don't think there's any weird pronunciations this time.
0: (laughs) I don't think so. Everyone's day had been perfectly normal so far. Except for the odd foreign coins they each found this morning. The day unfolded uneventfully, work, school, social activities, or whatever else people get up to during the day. (laughs) But uh, just before sunset, all of that changed. A great inexplicable explosion of sound and light robbed them of their senses. And as they recovered, the first thing they noticed prior to their sight and hearing returning was a painful scorching heat at their backs. As their vision faded from black to red, there were voices shouting all around them. They certainly aren't in Kansas anymore. Mm -hmm. I love this adventure so much.
1: Talk about (laughs) the time hop and fish out of water. Uh, I will say this is probably my favorite adventure to do character generation sessions for. because Mm. You start out as 1970s characters. So you've yeah, got the truck driver with the cigarettes. You've you've got the waitress with a notepad. You you've got the accountant or the the taxi driver or what have you. Uh, you've got the pimp. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and this is this is at least in my mind, it's it's one of two very solid seventies era adventures. Right. There's there's this one and Beyond the Silver Screen. I don't I don't know if there's really any others out there, but.
1: If, it is. So they're uh, definitely third party. But, but
0: that, it really gives enormous. such great flavor. You know, you can have you, you, at your table, you can have you can have a wizard and you can have, well, you know, old Jack Burton says you, can, <laughs> you, you really could, could have that big trouble in Little China sort of moment. Yeah, um, it's
1: meant as a funnel, uh, but you can definitely level the characters up uh, uh, before running it, if you will. And it is definitely one of my most often run adventures. I could probably draw the map like now, and, but I won't, I'll spare you. Uh, it it's absolutely has that, that replayability, even with new characters, things are going to go differently or, uh, yeah, the same players with new characters. Uh, but I I think it's definitely... it's got that you walk into a movie set kind of feel like, are these really lizard folk? No, clearly that's a costume. That's gotta be set dressing. Uh, no, they fire hot fire bad.
0: (laughs) This is, this is one of my all time favorite adventures. I think as a funnel, it is, and, and some folks might find this to be a uh, blasphemy, but I think this funnel is every bit as fun as Sailors on the Starless Sea. Um, it's just as fun on, on, the, on the far extreme side as Black Sun Deathcrawl. It's, it's different from both of them, but it, it knocks it out of the park. And the thing is, you don't, you don't see a lot from Dieter Zimmerman when it comes to published adventures. Uh, you certainly see him a lot on the Twitch channel. But when you see something with his name on it, um, whether it's uh, you know, this adventure, whether it's the Hangman's Garden that was just released, it's going to be very, very good. And it's worth getting and it's worth playing. And if, if, it, if you're past running a funnel at this point, it's worth reading and stealing ideas from His stuff is not to be missed. This this really is. This is a fabulous adventure.
1: Without giving too many spoilers, I will say that those coins that they found do tie into sailing into the present quite nicely.
0: Well, and I I was going to say, whether traveling by magic coin, wizard van, or crimson portal, right? Interdimensional travel can be a (laughs) lot of fun at the table, and uh, and this. It really is. Um, I I don't think that that Dieter gets enough credit for the stuff that he has written in the DCC community. I mean, he is one of the authors in in the core book, right? And while he'll be the first one to say, well, I didn't write a whole lot, he's got stuff in the core book. He's been there since the beginning. And if you see something with his name on it, pick it up. Well, yeah, you know uh he's he's still hoping for for DMC Dragon Ball Classics but <laughs> you know, if you see something with his name on it pick it up because if you haven't if you haven't read his stuff you're going to be beyond pleasantly surprised his adventures are awesome they're just they're fun from beginning to end there's never a dull
1: moment and fun to be fact mark wasn't Dieter your first DCC game
2: I was going to say that He's my third adventure that I that I ran for that I had for DCC. Um really? I, play, I was introduced by DC, to DCC back in 2012 by a friend, a local friend who who liked to try new game systems. And I was immediately like, "What is this? This is oh, you're at the dungeon and you're you're ready to go. That's new, you know." And, yeah. And then I went to Gen Con 2013. And technically my first game was with Michael Curtis. I did oh. um I did an adventure that he he did a little one called Frozen in Time. And I was like, Oh, this is great. And then <laughs> um that Saturday night I played in Dieter's game, and I was like, This is super great. <laughs> yes. I mean, both of them are just on the spectrum of I kind of knew what Michael Curtis's, you know you know, predicates were, you know, obviously barrier and these kind of things like that, but it was much, it's so, you know, it's so much different than those and just, but it was like very much like connective to the the D&D games that I would play as a kid. But Dieter's was entirely new, (laughs) entirely like out of left field. And I just had so much fun playing in his adventure. When I started running games as part of the road crew, after getting back from that Gen Con that year, one of the things I did was I wrote to Dieter and said, "Hey, can I run your adventure?" And he was like, "I haven't written anything down."
1: <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> oh, that's a crazy. Like, well, yeah. tell
2: me what you can. You can, and you know. So basically, I just I wanted to share that you know with the local group that was you know doing games for at a game store, and it was a big hit. You know, it was one of those things that you know it it, it was the the you know, the version that was still in Dieter's mind, you know, that he had been running at conventions for, you know, probably a few years by that point or a couple of years. But I just had so much fun, you know, with with that that concept of, you know, something this is something I had not thought you could do with role playing. Right. And that was sort of my with my naiv nativity, ni- ni- but it's also my sort of like I was so used to the standard, you know, boilerplate template for adventures. And mm-hmm. Dieter Really reframed that and made it
1: turned it on its head in a
2: way that really made me care about DCC in a way that very similar to what Michael Curtis made me care about DCC, but in a completely, you know, an other end of the spectrum, as I mentioned. So, um, I love this adventure. It's great. It was my really one of my, I would say, kind of key influences for DCC, um, you know, thinking back to that time and just how much Mm -hmm. I wanted to carry that, you know, the table. So, I really appreciate Dieter, you know, running that for us, but also his, um, you know, his, his giving me some, you know, some feedback when I was trying to run it also kind of those early days. Um, it made me really feel connected as a judge to be able to reach out to like um, somebody who was running this kind of adventure and, and be able to, you know, you know, get them to, uh, to say bless, you know, at least, you know, yeah, I think it'd be great if you ran this. <laughs> so um really like that.
1: Isn't that kind of mind blowing like a decade later?
2: It is. Yeah. I don't,
1: and I, we also like my, my
2: anniversary shirt, my 2013 World Tour yes. shirt, in, in in that moment, recognition of that moment. Love
1: it. Love oh, it. Just,
0: just this adventure. There's something about this adventure where, by the time you're done, you can smell the stale cigarette smoke cutting off the coming off the the jean jacket vest. Right. I mean. My, my high school had a smoking okay. area and those people come down the hall and you knew it. And it's just, it's, it was sort of that, that vibe. It really catches me. It's, it's that, you know, where, where some adventures are inspired by appendix N I would say deer's adventure is more inspired by like mid to late seventies metal album covers. And it's,
1: it, 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 yeah, it,
0: yeah. It, it's great stuff. Again, does not get nearly the recognition he, he deserves for the stuff that he's written
1: um, Hunt um, this
0: down. You can, you can still get this. I think at the Goodman store general, I'm sure Jen will correct me if I'm wrong since she's been unpacking uh, boxes. Uh, it's uh, the
1: one that has the, uh, the, the dead captain from the warden on the cover. Yes. You're doom oh, uh, yeah, on the, yeah. the, doom on on the, the warden. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It was the 40th anniversary of, uh, of metamorphosis alpha i believe yes um uh, also has a really great uh interview with luzaki in there but i just i i was gonna give a one-liner about the uh, adventure you will travel to a different time or and and or place and you will encounter you know the the stereotypical dragon in uh dungeon it won't be anything like what you expect
0: oh yeah
1: (laughs) and and if you haven't played it my heart just shines every time the players realize what's going on and their faces just kind of go oh (laughs) (laughs) it's beautiful Okay, um, we sh- we are running a little long. I apologize. We should give Elena a break, so um, I might zip through this part pretty quick. Uh, FYI, relocating the Sanctum Quorum has caused a couple delays in some of our ongoing projects. Sorry. Uh, but they shall be returning shortly. They better be. In the meantime, if you are in enjoy- show enjoying the show, please comment on the podcast or help us by posting a review on iTunes and now YouTube or Drive Through RPG for you Zine fans. Uh, these ratings and reviews help new listeners find the product and more importantly, the community. Next month we'll be looking at a posthumous Lovecraft collaboration by none other. Oh, sorry, collaboration. I'm yeah, sorry
0: collaboration. To- uh,
1: by august Derlith. uh trail of cthulhu perfect for october and the spooky season any last full uh, uh, try words again jenny last thoughts folks? <laughs> <laughs> it's late and i don't have words anymore
0: well you can look for legends of uganda the uh the print zine that collects some uh, Ashra's work with a few updates and new material. Um, it was released in print for GenCon, and it will be available, I am told, soon at the Goodman Games online store.
1: <laughs> That's pretty much the party line. Soon. soon.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd also, I'd also just like to, to take a moment. You know, recently, there was a lot of uh, a lot of hubbub in the DCC community because there was a, a Kickstarter, uh, was champions Harry of the Goblin, champions of the Goblin marketplace. That uh, originally the the author was just trying to do a, a quick PDF. Uh, he, he didn't really know anything about getting anything printed, so he was just going to do a PDF. And then folks talked to him, and so he was going to do a print PDF but his his intention had always been just to do it all himself and since he wasn't an artist he was using ai art and the community reached out and 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 actually handled it i think i think very well with you know, voicing voicing their concerns about things like that and that feedback was wholeheartedly embraced all of the ai art was was pulled from the adventure even before you know he set up stretch goals to bring in you know, Brad McDevitt, Stephen Pope, Brett Hess, and even before all those stretch goals had been filled, he had pulled all of the AAI art. He's like, "This is this is important to the community. I'm new to the community. That makes this important to me." And uh, the Kickstarter ended today. It hit all of its goals, uh, which oh. is a, which really shows how much the community values traditional art. And it is, it is wonderful. It its well, it, yeah. it, it, it's just, it's wonderful that the community was able to to rally around someone yes. who was new and enthusiastic rather than tearing them down. They, they built, mm-hmm. they built them up and it was a, a fantastic first experience in the community for him. And, uh, and, and to me, it's what the DCC community is all about. So I just, I, I felt that was kind of worth, worth mentioning. What about you, Mark? <laughs> I was
2: going to say, I think we we mentioned this in our uh, interview with Michael Moorcock, there's recently some new versions of the Elric um, Chronicles that have been published, you know, complete volumes. I think there's three volumes published by a gallery slash saga press that are lovely and they have include these these great, you know, illustrations on the front cover. Get those, you know, I think um, <laughs> we were, the third one was being published shortly after we did our interview with michael moorcock that was i think one I'm of the reasons that we we're. And there, there was like a new book that he was also you know that was the fourth yeah. book i think coming out there but mm-hmm. um we those are those are great additions to get to the complete stories and they're in chronological order which yeah obviously you, you know, very helpful very <laughs> helpful as well so just um you know for listeners who want to dive into elric and haven't had a chance to yet um there's some recent um, versions of them that um are very high quality and um, like I said, are chronologically, uh, ordered. So you can go from, uh, the beginning to end as Michael Moorcock intended. Awesome. Or keeps
0: intending as he adds. As he keeps adding. Yes. yes.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much, fellow keepers. And there you have it, folks. We hope we've inspired you. Thanks for listening.
0: Be inspired. Good, Good night. Night. You have been listening to the Sanctum Sacorum podcast. C. H. The Sanctum Secorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media.